Thank you, Jamie. Thank you to the grandchildren in particular. It's never easy to speak publicly and you've done tremendously well. We come now to the scripture reading, which is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for he is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's been a real privilege to hear these wonderful stories and tributes to Sharon, who we desperately miss. So we come to your words and reflection on your word. We pray that you will comfort us in our grief, that we will find hope in your word and in the risen Jesus Christ. Amen. So as we face death, where is our hope and where is our comfort? No doubt within this room there are represented all sorts of world views, religious beliefs and spiritual inclinations. Some will be well thought through and tightly held. Others may be vague and a bit nebulous. But whatever your big picture view of life, it's when we face death that it's tested. Does your worldview hold up or falter when we view a loved one in a casket? Is our worldview robust or does it crumble when we stand by the grave and as the casket is lowered? So this morning, using Psalm 23 as our guide, I want to briefly explore where we can find hope and comfort in our grief. Now, there are extremes. Philip Yancey, well-known author, describes a unique funeral custom conducted by some African village folk. Close family and friends, they circle the open casket and quietly grieve on the deceased. There is no singing in the ceremony, no flowers, no tears. But something very unusual. A peppermint is passed to everyone, and at a single, everybody puts the sweet in their mouth, and when the sweet is gone, each participant is reminded that that person's life is over forever. That they believe life simply dissolves. Now, there'll be more to their grieving than this stark ritual, but isn't it a contrast to a ritual, a funeral service, a ceremony where we have hope and comfort that when we die, life does just not cease to exist? And this hopelessness in that stark ceremony is contrasted with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. It's a psalm, a song, triumphant in hope from the first to the last phrase. It's a psalm that weaves comfort and assurance with poetry and grace. Millions over the centuries have memorised this psalm, even those who don't memorise a lot. And after John 3.16, this would be the most well-known and most well-loved passage in the Bible. 
It's often used to comfort people who are going through severe trials, suffering illness or dying. And for some, the words of this psalm have been the last words that they uttered in this life. It was so dear to them. And rightly so, as it declares hope upon hope and comfort upon comfort. Listen again to verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And this theme of hope and comfort set forth from the very first words, the Lord is my shepherd. So I just want to spend a few moments uh, digging a little deeper into that opening phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. Who is our Lord and what does being a shepherd look like? In the original language, Hebrew, of which the Old Testament was written, the word Lord is the great personal name for God. He revealed it to himself in the, in the burning bush to Moses. Moses was a shepherd himself. And while his people were slaves to the Egyptian, he was on the run, in exile, being a shepherd. And he's out in the wops, miles from anywhere, very isolated, and there's this bush on fire, and it just won't burn away. It's just flame, 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 and it doesn't crumble and disappear. So he investigates and is startled when the very voice of God speaks from this flame and says, I will set my people free. When Moses asks the name of this God, God says, I am whom I am. I am becomes the very word of God. And in the Hebrew, it's translated Yahweh. And in the English Bible, it's translated Lord and given capital letters just to emphasize that it means I am. It's used 4,000 times in the Bible and it is that special personal name of God declaring that he is timeless. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. He is all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful, created all things and set all things in order. The Lord is my shepherd is the great I am. But this is contrasted with the whole idea, the whole image of a shepherd. Now today, in New Zealand, the role of shepherd is highly respected. Well, maybe not highly, but it's greatly respected. In those days, though, the shepherd was towards the lower end, the lowest of the low. Only those people that couldn't get work elsewhere or at the bottom of the family list were shepherds. So we read the story of David as a young lad. Where was he? He was out doing the shepherding because all his big brothers wouldn't, and he was pushed out to do that. David, the shepherd. Why? Because in those days in ancient uh, Israel, 24 hours a day shepherding, day in, day night, sleeping amongst the sheep, keeping an eye on them, protecting them from lions and bears. Summer and winter, fair weather and foul. They laboured hard. Why? To protect, to nourish and guide the sheep. In those days when the Bible was written, shepherds worked hard for little recognition little pay and little respect. And yet here the great I am chooses to be our shepherd. The king of kings and the lord of lords choosing to step down from his throne and draw alongside us to nourish, to guide and protect. And he does this in a most surprising way, an outstanding way, 
a quiet way, a subtle way, missed by many, because God sent his son as one and only son to be the great and the good shepherd. In the gospel, Jesus says, John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd, and goes on to say, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My sheep listen to my voice and they follow me. Now, can you imagine a Kiwi shepherd calling out to a flock of two or 3,000 sheep, follow me, and then turning around and the two or 3,000 sheep following the shepherd? doesn't happen that way, does it, in New Zealand? I was driving to Wanaka on the weekend and had to, uh, had to stop as a, as a flock of sheep were being transferred from the yards on one side of the road to the race on the other. And it looked like a husband and wife and at least three dogs, all from behind, doing a great job getting that reasonable-sized mob across the road safely from behind. And I, I was, As I was stopped and waiting... I was reminded of a time when I was in China a few years ago and we were driving the roads and we were about to go on this this brand new multi-lane highway but the on-ramp was pretty rough. In fact, we had to stop because a local shepherd with about two dozen sheep decided to cross and he was in the front and I'd never seen anything like it. He was in the front, two dozen sheep behind. No one else, no dogs, no whistles. He just walked across the road And in a very orderly, well, a sheep jostling sort of orderly way, these 20-odd sheep followed him across the on-ramp and kept going into the field. And this is what Jesus is like. He calls the sheep, he knows them by name, and those that hear the voice of Jesus, they follow. This is why Jesus is our great and good shepherd. And he goes on in John chapter 10, still on the gospel. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And Jesus did. The good and great shepherd, the true and the better shepherd, went to the cross, laid down his life for you and I. And this is the reason why Psalm 23 is not all just sentiment and fluff. It's the reason why the words in Psalm 23 are so powerful and robust and true because Christ died for us, rose again, and he walked through the valley of the shadow of death on that first Easter Good Friday so that he could come back and now walk with us when we face our own valley of the shadow of death. I'll read that verse 4 again. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And this is why we don't need to fear. And this is why we have hope and comfort despite the cold, icy grip of death that is so near to each of us. Because we do not need to face death alone. Isaiah 41, 13, God says, For I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will be with you. I will help you. And it reminds me when my children were little and you'd cross a busy road and you'd grab your little son or your little child, preschool age, and you'd hold them by the hand and you would cross that busy road. And the children, the child, completely relaxed and secure. And the promise of Psalm 23 for all those look to Jesus is that that will be be us when we face our valley of the shore of death. 
our Heavenly Father will take us by the hand. We do not need to fear. He will help and strengthen us. And this is the promise that we have today. This is where we get our comfort and our hope. There is no need to despair when our loved one is in a casket, when they die and we miss them so much. We do not need to fear for they, when they look to Christ, then they do not die alone. And this is the promise that's extended to each of us. And we have a choice, face death alone or face it with the great and good shepherd who is Jesus Christ. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray.